This is the very first Lord's Day in a new year of 2018. There are 51 Lord's Days left. For good, bad, or indifferent, the books are closed on 2017, and we're beginning a new year in the Lord's service. Now, what we as people typically do is we make New Year's resolutions. How many of you made some about a week ago? I see some people doing this, and that means no, and that means that they've lived long enough that they've learned it doesn't do any good. Well, some of us might have made New Year's resolutions. <clears throat> might have made a resolution that we're going to lose weight. Eat better. Exercise more. I saw something the other day that made me think of what I might say. It said, if you see me eating something that looks like a salad, don't jump to any conclusion. It just fell out of my taco. We might have been resolved to be better people than we were last year. Maybe do away with some bad habits. Might have even resolved that we were going to begin having some new habits, some good habits for a change. Here's the problem. Many of our resolutions, although they're very well-intentioned, never actually come to pass. If we made New Year's resolutions last week, by this time we have probably broken one or more of them. I remember one time reading about a youngster who was talking to his dad. And he said, Daddy, did you make a New Year's resolution? He said, I sure did, son. He said, well, what is your New Year's resolution, Daddy? He said, I'm going to do everything within my power to make your mother happy. So the little boy, go, the boy goes in and says, Mom, did you make a New Year's resolution? She said, I sure did. What's your New Year's resolution, Mom? She said, I'm going to do everything I can to see that your father keeps his resolution. Why do we make resolutions? Well, we do it because we recognize that there are areas in our life that we're either unhappy with, or there are areas in our life that we want to be better. And the number one resolution every year in America is to lose weight. And I can witness this from my carport. All through November and December, when the Weight Watchers had their Thursday night meetings here at the building, the cars covered barely half of that back parking lot. This past Thursday night after the holidays are over, the cars at the Weight Watchers meeting came all the way to the corner and were starting to wrap around the building. That's the number one resolution is to lose weight. A woman came into the bathroom one morning and she saw her husband standing on the scales. And... He was sucking in his stomach with every ounce of strength and stamina he could muster to bring that thing in. And doing what wives do best, she started laughing at him. And in a somewhat polite way, she said, Sweetheart, I don't care how much you suck your stomach in. It's not going to make your weight any better. He said, Yes, it is. She said, exactly how? He said, if I don't suck my, suck my stomach in, I can't see the numbers on the scales. 
Well, speaking of New Year's resolutions, our text this morning comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul when he wrote the church at Philippi. And he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul wrote to the church at Philippi there for us as Christians as we begin a new year in the service of God is very practical advice. Because whether we want to admit it or not, every one of us in this room this morning has an imperfect past. There's not a one of us that can look at our past and not see something that we're ashamed of. We all have blemishes, we all have stains, and we all have warts. And we all have things we had just as soon nobody knew about. And we all have things that we would just really like to forget. Paul was one of the greatest saints of God that ever lived. And yet, as one of the greatest saints of God that ever lived, Paul was no different than you and me. Regarding the church, Paul had a very ugly, very blemished, very stained past. I'm guessing that after Paul came to know Jesus Christ, and after Ananias the preacher came to him and buried him in the waters of baptism... I think that Paul had a lot of time then to reflect on the shame of what he had done in persecuting the church. Paul had a lot of time to think back and reflect on his prior life. Because if you'll remember, before Paul ever came face to face with Jesus on that Damascus road, Paul was a religious man. He was a Pharisee. And he wasn't just any Pharisee. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee. He was on the fast track to being somebody important in the established religion of that day. He could quote Scripture. He attended synagogue on a regular basis. And yet all of Paul's religion did not keep him from having a past that he was not proud of. Well, guess what? We have an imperfect past. Our past is imperfect because of the presence of sin in our lives. But we do not have to be slaves to the past. You think about Paul. When Paul thought about the kind of life that he had lived, the fact that he had put people in prison, more than that, he had actually put people to death because they were Christians. When Paul would think about that, he could have just he said he could have just given up, said forget it. You remember the first time we meet Paul? He's still named Saul. And the first time we meet him, he's holding the clothes 
of those who are stoning Stephen to death. And holding the clothes for those that stoned Stephen to death, putting Christians to death, putting Christians into prison, Paul could have insisted, there's no hope for me. There's no way the Lord's going to use me. There's no way the Lord could ever forgive me. But here in this passage, Paul says, and he insists, that he's got something that he's, that's worth moving on for. He said, forgetting, forgetting the things that are behind Forgetting the fact that I held the clothes of those that stoned Stephen. Forgetting the fact that I put Christians in prison. Forgetting the fact that I put Christians to death. I'm forgetting that. And reaching for what's out yonder in the future. For what's out there ahead of me. I'm pressing on toward the prize for the high mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul could look back. He could see that in spite of his imperfect past, Jesus had redeemed him and Jesus had saved him. And he says, in spite of the past, I'm moving on. He recognized his past, but he wasn't going to be a slave to it. When Paul wrote those words, it's one of the prison epistles. Paul's just a few years away from his execution. He's under house arrest. There is a Roman guard that's with him at all times. But here's a man with an imperfect past. And after his imperfect past, here's a man with years of a fruitful ministry. Write this down. It's on the final exam. No matter our current circumstances, whether individually, or collectively as a congregation of God's people, we can move on. We can press forward to better and greater and brighter things. But we've got to remember something. This pressing forward and this moving on, that's not something that happens by accident. Moving on. Pressing forward, pressing toward the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ. It happens by intentional and determined effort. There's a word that doesn't work well serving the Lord. And that word is convenience. Paul says in that passage, I press on. I strive. I strain for what is ahead. And that word implies effort. Strenuous effort. The kind of effort that makes sweat pop out on our brow. Paul tells us though, that that goal, that prize, that high calling of God in Christ Jesus is worth all the effort. What does Paul call? He calls it a prize. And when Paul calls it a prize, he's not talking about something you get in a box of Cracker Jacks. When we're talking about living for Jesus, and when the focus of our life is living for Jesus Christ, we win. I'm firmly convinced the longer I live, 
that the reason over the years I've known so many folks that had such a lukewarm relationship with Jesus is that they saw the work. They saw the effort. They saw the striving. And they never got a good look at the prize. But as we start this new year, as we embark on this new adventure, if our relationship with Jesus has been lukewarm or tepid, we can turn that page. Because Jesus doesn't want us to have a tepid relationship with Him. He wants us to have a warm relationship. He wants us to have a relationship that's on fire for Him, loving Him, serving Him, and living for Him in every area of our life. That means we can spend more time in our study of the Word. And we can spend more time in prayer. Oh yes, especially in prayer. We talked about that last Lord's Day. We can let God speak to us through His Word. But we need to do more than just let God speak to His Word. What we need to do more than anything is spend time in prayer. Spend time in fervent prayer. Remember what we talked about last week? James says you don't get it because you don't ask God for it. A lot of things that we need in life and want in life, we don't get it because we don't ask God. We don't ever talk to God and pray and say, God, I need. We've got to learn how to fall to our knees and express to God the deepest longings and deepest desires of our heart. We talk about prayer. And we talk a good game about prayer. But we've got to get past lip service in prayer. We've got to get past cliches in prayer. We've got to get to the point that we spend time in fervent personal prayer to God. We've got to turn the page on a tepid, lukewarm relationship with Jesus. And we've got to turn the page on things like unforgiveness and resentment. Let's be honest. Honest with ourselves. Honest before God. There are those in this room, those of us in this room that have been hurt. And hurt deeply. And then others maybe have just got their feelings hurt a little bit. But in any case, whatever it is, Oftentimes we get our feelings hurt a little bit or we get hurt deeply and we get cut to the heart. And we hold on. We hold on to that and we refuse to turn loose of it. You know what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26? Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Now, am I the only person in this room that finds that hard? I'll admit that I find it hard. And if you tell me you don't, I'm going to go, really? Because it's not easy. But it's what we've got to do. And I've known folks that have let hundreds of sunsets go down on their anger. I know folks that are still 
watching the sun go down on their anger every day. And those are, and some of those same folks think that they're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Being unable or being unwilling to forgive is a dangerous thing to keep in our lives. Are you listening? And it will damn our souls. Jesus said that if we forgive, God will forgive us. Jesus also said if we do not forgive, God will not forgive us. It means we've got to forget some things. We've got to forget some things that have hurt us. We've got to forget about people that have done things to hurt us. And we've got to forget about people that have done things that have hurt the Lord's body. There may be folks that have said unkind things about us. They may have said things or done things that have hurt us. They may have said things or done things that hurt the Lord's body. We cannot, we must not dwell on those things. They'll answer to God for what they've done. They'll answer to God for what they've said. The Lord said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we've got to quit trying to help God repay folks. We cannot and we must not let bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness take root in our heart and rot our souls. We can't let it happen. We've got to turn the page on it. And we've got to turn the page on mediocrity and failure. Anybody can be tepid. Anybody can be, be mediocre. And a lot of folks are good at it when it comes to living for Jesus. Excellence. Excellence is rarely achieved without intentional effort. We have an opportunity to make a new beginning. Do you remember the words of the poet Louisa Fletcher? I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. For what had been hardest we'd know had been best, and what had seemed loss would be gain. For there isn't a sting that will not take wing when we faced it and laughed it away. And I think that the laughter is most what we're after in the land of beginning again with Jesus Christ as the Lord and Master of our lives we can make a new beginning the New Testament is filled with those who made a new beginning in Jesus Christ folks whose life was in tatters and ruins and on the ash heap of the world folks that had no promise of a bright future and Jesus made their lives over there was that tax collector, that chief publican named Zacchaeus. Jesus went home with him. And his life was never the same. There was Saul of Tarsus, 
the one we started out talking about on his way to Damascus, he had letters from the chief priest to put Christians in prison and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. And that bright light knocked him down. He heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. What would you have me to do, Lord? He said, Go in the city and they'll be told you what you must do. His life was never the same. There was a woman brought to Jesus one morning who had been taken in adultery. And Jesus sent her accusers away. He said, the one of you that's without the sin, you start throwing the rocks. And they dropped their stones to the pavement. Jesus said, where are your accusers? Does no man condemn you? She said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I. Go, sin no more. And I could go on and on and on about people whose lives were never the same. Because they met Jesus Christ face to face and they made Him the Lord and the Master of their lives. If Jesus is not the Lord and Master of all of your life today, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life today. And what better way to start a new year than with Jesus as Lord and Master of your life? If there are changes you need to make for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, now's the time to do it as we stand and while we